Our first reading this morning is from the Old Testament, from the book of Isaiah, chapter 55. We're going to start reading at verse 10. As the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the fields will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the pine tree, and instead of briars the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, an everlasting sign which will not be destroyed. Here endeth the lesson. And the Holy Gospel uh, is written in the uh, 13th chapter of the Gospel according to uh, St. Matthew. In fact, I'm reading verses 1 to 9 and then 18 through 23. So here the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory be to thee, O Lord. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered round him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood at the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but... When the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants. And still others fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, The evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who receives the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word But the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. Good morning. It's great to be with you all. It's not an opportunity I have very often. One of the joys of our 
wonderful church is that we have all these different services on a, on a Sunday. My choice of service is dictated to be by two small children, as many of you will know. So that choice is taken out of my hands to a certain extent. So it's wonderful to be with you. As most of you will know, I've been a lay reader here for, for a number of years now. But most of my uh, lay reading is done in the little parishes around Wheatley where we live. So can I just say, you are the biggest congregation I've spoken to for quite a while. Because <laughs> these lovely little churches have congregations numbering somewhere between 5 and 15 normally. So it's a joy to be with you. The, a preacher's delight, isn't it, when you arrive and look at the lectionary and discover the uh, readings are such, uh, are so well known, such wonderful uh, bits of scripture. It's our delight, but it's also our challenge, of course. And so I trust that as we go through this wonderful parable we find in Matthew 13, something of it will strike you afresh this morning. The danger, isn't it, when we come to these passages is that we we fall back on what we think we understand about them. So as we go through this uh, parable, my prayer is that we will all uh, be hearing from God something new, something fresh for us. Let's just pray. Father God, we come to your word with open hearts and open minds, and we ask that your Holy Spirit will fill both our hearts and minds so we may hear from you and learn from you. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So we arrive at Matthew 13, and Jesus, uh, faced with a large crowd, gets into the boat to teach and preach. Uh, It's a wonderful way of being able to reach this massive audience. The water, as probably we all know, is a wonderful sounding board, isn't it? The sound would have carried and spread. It also gives him a bit of space. He's not confined. But, of course, the disadvantage is there is some distance. Um, And he starts to speak in parables, which must have confused uh, quite a few of the crowd. We know that because the disciples say to him, don't they, uh, in the bit that we didn't read, what on earth is going on here, in effect? Uh, What on earth are you talking about? So let's just have a look at the context. What's led Jesus to this particular point? In the previous teaching, Jesus has been extending this invitation to the new kingdom of heaven on earth. He's been doing it in various ways and outlining what it looks like in various ways. The classic uh, part of that being, of course, the Sermon on the Mount. And it's the invitation, if you like, restated that we heard in our Isaiah passage that wonderful uh, chapter 55 in Isaiah, which begins, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. You who have no money, come by and eat. It's an invitation to the nation of Israel to take part in something new and wonderful that God wants to do, a new covenant. And here is Jesus, the incarnation of the word, bringing this new covenant into existence for the people of Israel and subsequently the whole world. So this is the invitation that Jesus has been extending to the people, this, ex- uh, this invitation to the new covenant, uh, a new way of living as children of God and citizens of the kingdom of God. Israel had always understood that um, God had promised they would be his people. That was the foundation stone of their life as a people, in fact. They had always understood that they were God's kingdom on earth. But Jesus was holding out this offer of Isaiah 55 for that to be renewed, to be refreshed, to be changed, to be altered, 
to be reinvigorated. Something wonderful was happening. The power of the word, the logos that we heard about in Isaiah 55, had become incarnate in Jesus. And it had been unleashed and it had come into the middle of them, come amongst them. It had come with both a proviso and a promise. The proviso, which we uh, actually didn't read, but comes just before the passage we read uh, in Isaiah, is this, that in in verse 9 of that chapter we read this, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are not your thoughts. This wouldn't necessarily be what was expected. This might be something utterly different. That was the proviso. But the promise was that the word would be sent out and would accomplish what it set out to do. There was no way that there was going to be a failure. This was going to happen. The word was going to come in Jesus and it would accomplish what it was set out to do. So that's what's been happening. That's what Jesus has been doing, is presenting to the people of Israel this invitation, this promise. Um, Cervantes, 16th century uh, writer, we we probably all know Don Quixote, was reported uh, as saying this, teaching is casting real pearls before real swine. And um, I think, although Jesus might not have used those words, there were times when I'm sure he felt that as he taught, nothing much was coming back. And I'm sure the disciples were seeing that as well. And this is where we come to this parable. This parable is an explanation of the various responses to the invitation that Jesus has been making, and indeed the response to Jesus himself. So, what we have here is a parable of the soils as an allegory, as an example, as as a, a picture of those responses. And he's got three audiences as he speaks. He has, of course, got the audience that's in front of him as he stands or sits in the boat and speaks to this crowd. And he's holding a mirror up to them, effectively asking, what is your response to the kingdom of heaven? What is your response to the word, the seed that is being placed before you? Will you be a place where it will grow and come to fruit? However, while he's directly addressing that crowd, it would appear that he's actually vitally concerned with the disciples as an audience. Some commentators have described this uh, parable as a theodicy, a way of explaining what is going on in terms of Jesus' ministry and how it will be responded to. And that is aimed very much at the disciples an explanation of what is going to happen to him, the nature of what is going to happen to him and his ministry. And so we get this aside in the middle about parables themselves and then the explanation that uh, we read from verse 18 onwards of the parable itself. And of course, by the same token, if he's speaking to the disciples like that, the third audience is us. This parable is also aimed at us, those who 2,000 years later have received that gospel too, have received that invitation to be part of God's kingdom on earth. So 
I wonder if we could just go three quick points that we might want to take away as that third audience to this parable. Three, uh, three uh, little ideas that came to me as I was rereading this. First of all, the liberality of the sower. Second, the power of the seed. And third, the generosity of the return. So very quickly then, the liberality of the sower. The sower scatters seed. It goes everywhere. It is not placed as a kind of investment portfolio. Modern farming, and I know one or two farmers, and is, is a science. It's an investment. Everything is done to make sure that every seed produces as much as possible. If my farmer friend behaved like this sower, he'd go out of business very fast indeed. But here we have a sower scattering the seed. It's a wonderful picture of the kingdom, its universality, and its complete availability to all. What we have in this parable is an idea of a profligate God, a God who scatters the invitation willy-nilly to everyone in every place. So that's our first point, the liberality of the sower. The promise for us, of course, is that there is no ending to God's invitation. God's invitation comes to us as individuals, to those around us, to our friends, to our neighbours, to our country, to our world. It comes without end. It comes without stinting. It is an invitation that repeats itself constantly to us. The challenge, of course, is to reflect that generosity in the way we live. The second, then, the power of the seed the way the parable is explained by Jesus, it is clear that the seed is seen as the message he brings, but also Jesus himself. The power and life of the kingdom of God is the seed. The nature of the incarnation and the promise of the personal indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That's the seed that's being sown. And the seed is the fulfillment of that promise in Isaiah, the invitation to Israel to a new covenant. The power of the word is being promised here. That word that comes down and provides life to all. The seed is the message, the word that transforms. And of course, for us, uh, that means that we can tap into that transformation. And that power of the word is taken up at the beginning of John's Gospel, is it not? The word that transforms, the logos that was before all things and in all things. The promise for us of this power of the seed is that we live in the security and power of the indwelling of that word. It's available to us at all times and in all places again. The challenge is how are we using it and being used by it in the kingdom here. And the third point is the generosity of the return the profligacy of the sower the power of the seed but the generosity of the return the parable concludes with this wonderful promise the invitation of the sower to take the seed and be transformed is taken up by one soil and the results are spectacular 
Where do you put yourself in this story is the obvious question, isn't it, when you hear it? And we're invited to place ourselves as the soil that produces this amazing return. And what is the yield? The description in Isaiah of this new covenant is of satisfaction, of hunger and thirst, satisfied. It's a picture of joy and peace that are the foundations of a new life. And nature itself bears witness up to this permanence of transformation. That's the invitation, that's the promise, and that's the yield. The yield is described throughout the New Testament, isn't it? It's the transformed life of the believer, which in turn increases the kingdom of heaven. It's the living out of the two greatest commandments and the flowering of the fruits of the Spirit of God in us as individuals. The kingdom is grown in the hearts and actions of those who live as disciples in the power of the Logos, the Word of God. All we have to do is remember that the power is in the seed. That's wonderfully reassuring, is it not? We are the soil, we are the receptacles of it. That power comes to us and works through us. We are called to be good soil, which is greatly reassuring, but also challenging. So here is the question, I think, that I am left with as I read this parable. And that is a very simple one. How is the kingdom being grown in me? Amen.